Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. As you're turning there, uh, a couple of the songs that we sang this morning had hallelujah repeated in them. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And I just want to tell you, remind you, that's not just this church word that we sing. It means praise God. Hallelujah, praise Yah, Yahweh, praise God. So when we sing hallelujah, we're singing praise God, praise God for all that he has done. Mark chapter four, verses 35 through 41. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? We've seen in our walk through Mark this pattern in Jesus' ministry. He teaches And then his teaching is followed by miraculous signs that support his teaching. We we saw it in in chapters one and two. Jesus teaches, and then he gets out from behind the pulpit, and he casts out a demon, heals Simon's mother-in-law, and then heals the whole village, everyone that comes to him. And then again teaches in chapter two, or end of chapter one, and cleanses a leper and heals the paralytic. And here in chapter four and chapter five, we see the same pattern. The last few weeks, we've been looking at Jesus's parables. The beginning of chapter four, we're told that Jesus gets into a boat and pushes the boat off a little bit from the shore, and the people are gathered on the shore listening to his teachings, and he lays out these parables for him. And now here, at the end of chapter four, Jesus is done teaching, and he gets in the boat to cross over to the other side. And so the rest of chapter four, we're gonna finish today. And then chapter five, which will be the next two Sundays, he's gonna perform these miracles. Today he calms a storm. Next week, we'll see him cast out the demons with the the man in Gerasene, verses one through 20. And then the following week, he heals the woman who is sick, verses 21 through 34, and raises a little girl from the dead, in verses 35 through 43. So teaching followed by miraculous signs to support his teaching. At the end of today's story, in in response to Jesus calming the storm, the disciples ask each other, who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? As we've been saying throughout the series, that is exactly the question that Mark repeatedly forces his readers to Answer, who is this? Today's passage and then the next couple passages in Mark 5, they're meant to answer that question. The disciples ask, who is this? 
And the answer, all the way back to chapter one, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the second person, over, second person of the Trinity. And today and, and the next few weeks, we'll see he's the second person of the, of the Trinity who has full authority over nature and has full authority over the spiritual realm and has full authority over disease and even has full authority over death. And so we ought to joyfully and humbly put our hope, our trust, and our confidence in Jesus. In other words, we ought to put our faith in him. Jesus says, have you still no faith? Do you know who I am? I am the Christ, the son of the living God. Trust me, believe in me, hope in me, have confidence in me. So that's the main point. That's the most important takeaway from the end of chapter four all the way through chapter five. Who is this? Behold our God. Hallelujah. This is, this is God himself. And then under the umbrella of that main point, I wanna meditate together this morning on what it means for us that Jesus is the son of God who has full authority over all things. What does it mean for us that Jesus took the disciples out in the boat across the Sea of Galilee, Jesus took the disciples into the heart of a storm, calmed the storm, and then called the disciples to examine their troubled, fearful hearts and put their faith in him? What does that say for us? So it, that, this passage helps us as we ask three questions. These are three questions that everybody will ask eventually. Does God know? Does God care? Can God do anything? Does God know? Does God care? Can God do anything? So that first question, does God know? Does God even know what's happening in our lives? Verse, verse 37. The, Jesus takes his disciples, they're done teaching. He says, let's stay in the boat and let's cross the Sea of Galilee, which is really a lake. It's eight miles across. Let's, let's cross the Sea of Galilee to the other side. And so they, they get in the boat and they cross, begin to cross the sea. And in verse 37, it says, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. This is, this is a life-threatening situation for those in the boat. Big storm, small boat. If this continues, they're all dead. Where did the storm come from? And why are the disciples in the middle of it? Mark's phrasing is interesting in verse 37. He says, a great windstorm arose you could also translate happened. This, this great windstorm happened. And we know that weather is not self-aware. And it doesn't have personal agency. So th this windstorm didn't cause itself to happen. Nature is not in control here. Nature is passive. The windstorm arose or happened and Mark invites us to ask, where did it come from? Where, where is this storm from? 
Who is responsible is always an important question to answer. I, I read something this week about a patient who received poor medical treatment in a hospital, and that poor treatment led to a bad outcome. And the hospital administrator, they, you know, they get into these conversations about responsibility. The hospital administrator said, mistakes were made. It's just infuriating to hear that. You just want to scream, who made the mistakes? Hospital? Who's in charge here? Why were mistakes made? Who, who was doing it? Who has agency? Own up to what you have done, hospital. This is the pattern that we see in scripture, Genesis 3. Adam and Eve sin, they eat the forbidden fruit. God comes to Adam, Adam, what is it you have done? And we know, what's Adam's response? The woman you gave me. Adam, what have you done? This woman you gave me. Or Exodus 32, when Aaron and the Israelites, when they sin by, by worshiping the golden calf, Moses comes down from the mountain, confronts Aaron for, for leading the people in this way. Aaron says to Moses, the people gave me gold, I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. It's just absurd. Aaron, just own up to what you have done. As humans, there's so much that we are not, genuinely not individually responsible for. The weather, the stock market, our genetics and the medical realities that accompany them, and a thousand other realities. Think of all the stuff you're not in control of, that you can rightly say, not my fault. I'm not in charge here. I'm not over this. At, so there's a lot that we're not responsible for because we're just small creatures. And as fallen sinful humans, much of, much of what we are responsible for, we seek to minimize or deny. Not my fault that I'm in a bad mood. It's my spouse's fault. It's my kid's fault. It's my coworker's fault. It's the weather's fault that I'm in a bad mood. Right? So we, we try to minimize or deny, try to shove responsibility aside. And, but what is true of us is not true of God. The clear testimony on page after page of scripture is that God is ultimately in control of everything from the cosmic to the subatomic, every detail. The, the Bible tells us that God created the world and sustains it by the word of his power, Colossians 1. That that God causes the sun to rise and set, Matthew 5. That God places every star in the sky, Isaiah 40. And at the same time, God numbers the hairs on our head, Luke 12. He knows every sparrow, Matthew 10. He controls the outcome of every roll of dice, Proverbs 16. Whatever happens, whether it's the biggest or the smallest, God is ultimately in control. God knows every detail. We know that Mark is presenting Jesus in this passage as the second person of the Trinity who has authority over nature. He, 
he is about to command the storm to stop. And given that Jesus has agency to stop the storm, can we also say that he had agency in the storm arising? The picture that Mark paints of Jesus throughout his gospel indicates that we can. In in chapter two, Jesus knows the inner thoughts of the scribes when they question him. He says to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, and the scribes, inward thoughts are, who can forgive but God alone? They're not saying it out loud, but Jesus knows what they're thinking. Throughout Mark's gospel, Jesus repeatedly foretells his death and resurrection, predicts it. And in chapter 13, when Jesus is speaking of of the end times and of the destruction of Jerusalem, he declares what will happen he, said, he, he, he foretells the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, and, and he tells them what's coming at the second coming. He, he's predicting the future. And so in, in today's passage, Jesus prompts the disciples to get into the boat and take the boat on which they've been teaching and cross over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus, who again is God incarnate, the second person of the Trinity, is progressively revealing himself to his disciples. He's slowly unfolding who he is. And so he brings them into the teeth of a storm so that he can give them another glimpse of his power and identity. Who's in control in this passage? It's Jesus. Brothers and sisters, Nothing has ever happened to you. Nothing is happening to you now, and nothing will ever happen to you that God does not know about, care, account for, and ultimately control. Nothing. Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. God says this, I am God, and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. God declares the end from the beginning because he's the only God. Revelation 22, verse 13, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And I want you to know this, this is true of all things. When I say all things, I mean all things, even good and bad. Job chapter two, verses nine and 10, after Job has lost everything, his children, his wealth, his health, it's all gone. Job's wife says to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. And how does Job respond to his wife? You speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we not receive good from God? And shall we not receive, or shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? He tells his wife, listen, God is God and we are going to receive 
good from him, and we are also going to receive evil from him. And then it says, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. The narrator says Job is right when he says that. Isaiah 45, verse 7, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. The darkest event in human history, the most evil, unfair, unjust, grief-inducing, ugly moment that ever occurred is the betrayal, arrest, conviction, beating, and crucifixion of Jesus. It's the worst thing that's ever happened in human history. The creator was destroyed by his creatures. The righteous king was betrayed by his wicked subjects. The only person in history who was perfectly honest, perfectly innocent, perfectly just, perfectly pure, and perfectly good was shamefully slandered, mocked, beaten, and killed by those who were guilty, unjust, impure, and evil. The one who deserves all the praise, all the glory, all the honor that the universe has to offer bore the shame and burden of our condemnation. It's the worst thing that has ever happened. And Bruce just read a few minutes ago, Peter says at Pentecost that God knew about all of it. Acts chapter two, verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Who was ultimately in control of the crucifixion? God was. It was his definite plan. He foreknew it. Why did a great windstorm arise? Because God purposed it. Why is your life today, this very second, what it is? Why is your life what your life is? Because God purposed it. In your suffering, your confusion, your fear, your anxiety, your pain, your anger, your disappointment, your discouragement, the question, does God know, is an emphatic yes. He knows. So then the second question, does he care? Does God care? Given that he knows every detail of our lives, happy and sad, good and hard, and given that God knew the disciples would sail into the teeth of a dangerous storm, the next question is, does God care? That a powerful, all that, that a good, all-powerful God would allow suffering is one of the most difficult realities in the, in, the, in the universe. We grapple with it. But it is a biblical question. The, the biblical writers themselves grappled intensely with that question. If God is good, if God is all-powerful, 
Why? Why is this happening? Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Psalm 109, verse one, be not silent, O God of my praise. The implication is that he feels like God is silent. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer me, and by night, but I find no rest. Job 30, verses 19 through 22, this is Job in his, in his misery, and he says, God has cast me into the mire and I have become like dust and ashes. I cry to you for help, and you do not answer me. I stand, and you only look at me. You have turned cruel to me. With the might of your hand, you persecute me. You lift me up on the wind. You make me ride on it, and you toss me about in the roar of the storm. Job would have looked at the disciples in the storm and said, I get it. I understand. And so that question, do you care, is exactly where the disciples go in their distress. The storm arises, the waves begin to crash into the boat, the boat begins to swamp, and they are astonished and dismayed to find that Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. And I had to look that up. Stern is back, bow bow is front. I had to look it up twice this week because I couldn't remember. So they're dismayed. Why is he asleep in the back of the boat? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus, how are you asleep? Doesn't it matter to you that we are about to die? We know what Jesus does next. He demonstrates that he does care by calming the storm, by sparing their lives, by restoring them to safety. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But in our distress, when we cry out to the Lord in fear, when he feels far off, when we don't understand what God is doing, when we are tempted to conclude that he doesn't care, keep reading Psalm 22. He starts off, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far off? Why don't you answer me? Why don't you come? But then verses three through five, he says, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. When you suffer, when God ordains that difficulty comes your way, You don't have to suppress it. You don't have to act like it's not a big deal. You do not have to grin and bear it. You can acknowledge the pain and confusion and frustration and sadness, and you certainly ought to pray earnestly for the Lord to move, to bring relief, to deliver you. But in the midst of it, hold fast to him. Hold on. 
Trust that he is in control. Trust that he will never leave you or forsake you. Trust that the story is not over and that you will not be put to shame for hoping in him. When you suffer, know for certain that God indeed does know and he does indeed care. Which brings us to our third and final question. If God knows, and if you're telling me that God cares, then can God do anything and why doesn't he? Can God do anything? I could just say yes and be done. Of course. Of course, yes. God's power knows no bounds. Jesus wakes from his sleep, rebukes the wind, says to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind stops and there is a great calm. The God who created the sea and the wind can stir it up into a storm and he can calm it down to utter stillness. This is as a man telling his dog to come to heal and the dog immediately obeying. Looks at the wind and the waves and says, stop. And they stop. The wind and the waves hear and obey the voice of their maker and master. It's that simple. And then after firmly rebuking his creation, it says he rebuked the wind and said to the waves. So he rebukes his creation. The creator then turns and gently rebukes his creatures. He looks at his disciples, he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Don't you know who's in the boat with you? You have intimate, immediate access to me. I am not your teacher, as you just said. I am your Lord and your God. Nature belongs to me, responds to me. You have no reason to fear it. Only believe who I am and come to me for help. Jesus brought the disciples into the storm. The disciples cried out to him and he delivered them from the storm. And so we should absolutely pray when trouble comes. It is right and good and essential to do so. Psalm, Psalm 50 verse 15, we talked about this verse a few weeks ago. Psalm 50, 15, call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. You are commanded to call out to God in your distress because God says, I will deliver you and you will glorify me. And many times God does deliver us. The sickness is healed. The needed money comes in. The relationship is restored. The darkness lifts and we praise God every time. Every positive answer, we say, glory be to God. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for delivering me. But many times the answer is no. Or the deliverance is slow to come. Sometimes healing and rest comes, but only after much pain and many tears. In this passage, Jesus speaks the word that calms the storm and delivers the disciples. But later, later, Jesus is going to speak a greater word that delivers us from a greater storm. 
In, in Mark 15, verse 34, Jesus himself quotes Psalm 22 when he's on the cross. Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, on the cross, grabs hold of Psalm 22 and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isaiah 43, if you have your Bibles, turn there. Isaiah 43 is one of my favorite promises. Verses one and two. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. That verse has been a help to me. So we, we claim that, that verse. God says, don't be afraid, I've redeemed you. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. They won't overwhelm you. When you pass through the fire, it's not gonna consume you. For I am the Lord your God. That's good news. At Calvary, the flood overwhelmed Jesus and the fire consumed Jesus. Jesus was not spared. Jesus was not delivered. Jesus was not saved. Jesus cried in the Garden of Gethsemane for the cup to pass from him, and he was met with God's silence. For us. The disciples cry out, Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus rescues them. In the garden, Jesus calls out, let this cup pass from me. And God says, no. On the cross, Jesus cries out, why have you forsaken me? And the Father is silent. And so in Christ, you may suffer. In fact, Jesus promises that trouble will come your way. In this world, you will have trouble, he says. But you will, if, if you are in Christ, if you are trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will suffer, but you will always suffer as a redeemed child of God. And you will always suffer, you will always suffer with the fellowship of a Savior who has suffered for you and like you. Who will not waste even a second of your suffering or a single tear that you shed because of your suffering. And one day, that Savior will restore you to full, safe, peaceful life with Him. All of your suffering needs to be in that light. We're going to take the Lord's Supper in a minute, and as we're as we're singing, or as we're taking the Lord's Supper, we're going to sing It Is Well. So this hymn, many of you know it. Many of you know the story behind the hymn. Horatio Spafford is the writer of the hymn. His children were lost at sea in a, in a transatlantic voyage. His children died in a storm. And he was crushed. 
And, and after, after the, he gets the news that his children are gone, he crosses the ocean to be with his grieving wife. His wife survived the storm, his children didn't. He crosses the ocean to be with her. And as he is passing the place where his children were taken, under the watch of a God who knew, who cared, and who was strong to do something had he chosen. As Spafford is crossing over that space, he writes this hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And he's able to do that because of this verse. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. Father, when when peace like a river attends our way, and when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, whatever my God-ordained lot, whatever my God ordains is right. Whatever is happening in my life, you have taught us to say, it is well, it is well with our souls. Because Christ has taken our sin. Christ has been overwhelmed by the flood of your wrath. Christ has been consumed in the fire of destruction because of our sin. Christ has borne our sin in his body on the tree and we can say it is well with our souls. In Christ we pray, amen.